As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey Blenders, it's Sean, and we are not doing a traditional episode this week as the guys take some time off for the Thanksgiving holiday, but I wanted to check in really fast with a bonus episode because Jake and Kevin were able to sit down with Paul Bettany and Alan Ball on behalf of their new film, Uncle Frank. And over the course of the interview, they talk about some things about WandaVision. Uh, Alan Ball reflects about the time he won the Oscar for American Beauty, and Paul Bettany gets into some really beautiful stories uh, from his time spent on A Beautiful Mind, so we wanted to make sure that we had this for you guys to enjoy before we headed into the holiday. So, without further ado, here is the Real Blend interview with Paul Bettany and Alan Ball on behalf of Uncle Frank. So, guys, we're going to actually toss to this interview in the middle of uh, um, our podcast episode, so I'm just going to jump right into it if you don't mind. But seriously, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Congratulations on the film. Really just a a powerful, powerful film. Um, Paul, I'm going to start with you. You know, one of the things I love about road trip movies is that it obviously gives characters the opportunity in a very organic way to get to know each other. I'm curious, when you're working opposite another actor... You know, you're, you're oftentimes you're meeting them for the first time and you're being thrown into scenes and sometimes it needs to feel like you've known each other for a while. In what way do you as an actor, what, what's, what sort of tricks do you use to try to get to know another co-star as quickly as possible? Oh, I, I, I um, uh, well, usually what you do is you rehearse for a couple of weeks, <laughs> but we didn't have that. So, um, um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I, I, I'm not somebody that really believes as an actor much in chemistry. You know, I've had chemistry with a cross on a, on a, on a mat box in, you know, when the, when the actor, when the actor can't fit in the car. So, you know, I, my, my, um, what I can tell you is I love actors who are really, uh, good. And that, and, and I was on a road trip movie with, Two actors who were really um, good and were um, as as uh, as good as I was at, at, at faking knowing each other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there there is an art form to the road trip film, um, and obviously, like using real cars and and making it look as realistic as possible, but with the driving. Um, and I guess this will be for both of you. I'll start with you, Alan, and I'll ask you, Paul, as well. I mean, there are some great road trip films over the years that have just defined cinema and defined genres. I'm just curious for each of you, do you have favorite ones? I mean, I think Planes, Trains and Automobiles comes to my mind just in, just from that perspective. But Alan, and do you have a particular favorite road trip film? Oh, of course. Now I can't think of a single road trip film. Uh, uh-huh. Paul, you answer and let me... Yeah, I'll answer. Uh, I really right. like um, the, the Motorcycle Diaries. Yes! Great movie. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting way to look at a really famous figure from history uh, is to sort of, they, they, you know, take him 
earlier as a kid, you know, tra traveling with a mate and, um, and, and seeing how those uh, experiences um, on that trip and imagining how they influence his sort of political, um, Che Guevara's political uh, beliefs uh, later on, I thought was a fascinatingly fresh way of going about it. Also, I think they shot it Super 16 and blew it up, which was um, also gave it a, a really interesting feel. Now you're you were gonna fit language. in. I'm saying you were gonna fit yeah. in very well with this podcast. My language. This yeah, is a very I, film nerdy podcast. Alan, did you uh, uh, find anything? I, I'm I'm actually rattling some off in my mind too. Is fear and loathing considered? That, that was the first one that came to my mind. At least the opening act. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, right. Eat Rider is a road trip movie, right? Kind oh, of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's one. Also, uh, I know that this is not a road trip movie. Five Easy Pieces. There's a little road trip sequence in it. Oh, I remember. That's an extraordinary. That's an extraordinary movie. I just rewatched that recently. It is. It's. It's immaculate. That film. It's I'm not gonna lie. I've never seen this film. I need to watch this movie now. It's oh called yeah, what? Five Easy Pieces. Five okay. Easy Pieces. Yeah. I will take your recommendation. Thank you for that, yeah, Jay. Go ahead. You know what's interesting, Paul? What you said, like one of the few, like the few silver linings of all of us being stuck at home is the chance to, and I know Kevin's doing it as well, like going back and kind of either watching classic films for the first time or revisiting classic films. I know that that's something that we've both been doing. Uh, you know what's interesting? I think about this film is, and 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 I mean this, you know, it kind of in a, in a scary way is how timeless it is. Like obviously, the film takes place in the early seventies. But unfortunately, you really wouldn't have to change that many details of the film for it to take place in 2020, and, and it would still make sense. I'm curious for both of you, what, is that something you ever talked about, or what does that mean to you that it really, you know, aside from the cars and the technology and a few details here and there, you could have said it in 2020 and basically kept the same script? Yeah, I don't remember talking. I mean, it's always, it, for me, I think one of the reasons that organically it ended up being in 1973 is that, you know, one of the aspects of the movie is that it's a coming of age movie for Beth. And that's when I was coming of age. I was, I was a, uh, in 1973, I was a, a sophomore in high school. Um, I, I do think it, it I mean, I, I imagine there are people today who are still in the closet, middle-aged, gay men who are still in the closet with their family, but I think they're much fewer than there were in 1973. Um, but yeah, I guess it could, you know, give, a, I mean, in 1973 is so much crazier and weirder and more depressing than 19, uh, 2020 is, is so much crazier and weirder and more depressing than 1973 <laughs> ever was in so many ways. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we love the storytelling you have here, and, and you're talking about uh, Sophia's performance. I think is absolutely one of the best performances. <laughs> yeah, just she's brilliant in the in the movie. But there's a great scene in the, earlier on in the film where she walks in and they're reading The Godfather, and she's aware exactly what The Godfather is, and she even talks about a scene in the book specifically as if she's hiding that that she's read that from her parents. So I wanted to ask each of you. Were there books and movies that you hid from your families when you were growing up that you would sneak and watch? Like I, I, I did it all the time. I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies. I would record them on free HBO weekends on those like eight-hour long tapes and just watch them over and over. I'm just curious for each of you. I'll start with you, Paul. Were there films and or and or books that you kind of had to sneak by your folks? Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I. 
most of my childhood there were you know three channels and uh, and and then vcrs came in and then i left home so um you you you're talking to somebody at the boomer end of uh, at the of gen x so uh it didn't really come up much you know? alan for you i remember there was a uh, there was a there were the three channels and then there was channel 8 which was sort of like pbs it was like the educational channel and I remember they had a, a thing on Saturday nights at 10. It would be like movies for adults. And I thought, all right, I'm going to get to see some boobs or something. And I was really excited about it. And it was just foreign movies and movies about people who were mentally ill. And it was very depressing. Wow, so that's, no boobs. I, that's all we do. That's all we do. a really dark turn. <laughs> I remember the one I watched the whole way through waiting for some people to get naked. And it was just about two guys, two, uh, a guy and a woman who met in a mental institution and they were both mentally ill. Wow. Do you remember those like old scrambled channels when you would put on the channel, it'd be like, it'd be all scrambled images and you had to like pay. Like, those are the channels you would sit there and watch and go, maybe it'll clear up one day and you'll see a boob. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, go ahead. Uh, Paul, you've been in, in so many, uh, obviously a wide different range of movies with different feels and different themes. And you know, whether, whether it's, you know, superhero movies or, or dramatic films like this or adventure films. And I would imagine there's so many moments in this film where I thought, wow, I bet when cut was called, you needed to kind of take a step back and, and have a moment for yourself and have some downtime. I'm sort of curious how downtime differentiates based on what kind of movie it is. Like, is, is, is cut the same for every movie or does it feel different depending on what kind of movie it is? Do you need the downtime in some movies more than others? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the, the different sorts of movies have different expectations of you, you know, I mean, uh, I don't, I didn't have to work out for Uncle Frank. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is, um, which is great. Uh, but, um, but yes, you, you, you know, sometimes Alan would call cut and I would head home and drink a beer and try to forget, uh, where I just had to have my head. Um, uh, so, so. I, and I was very glad that I wasn't going home to my children at night, you know, sometimes, you know, because I don't know what use I would have been uh, as, a, as, a, as a father <laughs> some of those evenings. Um, and, but, you know, Alan's a really empathetic um, director. They're few and far between. And um, he, really, he, he really looked after me and put his arm around me and, you know, took care of me in those moments. You know, Paul, I want to talk to you about your process, it, only in this sense that I focused a lot on the way your character held himself, um, like specifically like the way he holds a cigarette, the way he might scratch his face when he's in a conversation. Um, and I was just interested to know like those little things, um, how much work goes into that? Like, is, is that just happening as you're within a scene or do you plan, like even earlier in the beginning of the film, you're talking to Sophia, you're holding your cigarette a certain way, you scratch your face. I remember seeing that specifically, I'm like, are those choices or are those just do those moments just happen as an actor? I really don't. I mean, I think there's some sort of. Uh, I watched the film, and I saw a lot of my father in my in my mannerisms. I had I can absolutely promise you that I I I 
it was entirely without, um, it was entirely unintentional. I didn't think about the physicality of, of Frank at all, except for um, when he was drunk and um, trying to sort of represent that in a realistic way because it's sort of hard to do when you're sober. But uh, I, I, um, so, 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 but, I, but watching it, I do, I do take the point. I saw my, my, my father and the way that I smoked cigarettes. I, huh. I, used, I used to smoke cigarettes and I, I do not smoke cigarettes in that way. I was, I was sort of shocked. Hmm. That, that happened by uh, ghost or something. Well, I'll tell you that it actually added so much depth to your character, even though it might not have been conscious. It was, it was very interesting how you pulled that off. So Jake, go ahead. Thanks, Dad. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paul, I, we, I don't think neither Kevin nor I were going were gonna to bring this up, but, but it, it sort of made news today. I'm sure you saw that they finally announced the release date for WandaVision, which is going to be uh, January 15th. Which right. is which is very very exciting. I only I, I, I just heard that I heard that myself. Uh, I, mean, I knew that it was going to be January fifteenth, but I, I just heard that they announced it. I had no idea that was going on. Well, uh, because it's January fifteenth, that makes twenty twenty the first year in basically a decade where we haven't gotten any new MCU material. And obviously, it's weird for us because we're used to ingesting it on a regular basis. But I'm curious, as someone who is so directly involved with it. Has it been weird for you to not have sort of M new MCU stuff thrown at you, or do you kind of feel like you're always attached to it in one way or another? Yeah, no, I, I, I 2020 has felt weird in so many ways, and that's just not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Paul, I, I'll, I'll literally ask you only one more WandaVision question, and then I, want, I definitely want to get back to this film, but this is something I found interesting when I read an article the other day, that you filmed the first episode in front of a live audience, and I believe you were painted blue as, as you actually did this. And I wanted to know, just uh, without spoiling story-wise, what it was like to act in front of a live audience, because I love the the style of the show and the way it looks, it's so interesting. That's what grabbed me immediately. But I'm just wondering what that was like to shoot in front of a live audience. Um, okay, so it was, it, was the, it was the best fun ever. And I, I kind of thought, God, I've totally wasted my life. I should have been shooting sitcoms all of this. <laughs> so much fun. It was like being in Summerstock or something, just running around backstage, grabbing props off prop tables and bumping into Katherine Hahn as you're trying to come through the door at the right moment. <laughs> Um, and we shot it. We shot it twice. I actually wasn't blue. I was um, oh. looking like myself. We picked up that the, there were only a couple of shots where I needed to, to turn into um, the the. Um, uh, is that is that correct? Am I telling the truth? I think I'm telling the truth. Yeah, I think we shot those bits. 
I think we shot those. I lie so often, it's hard to tell when I'm. You know. <laughs> Kevin Feige just popped out of the corner over there. <laughs> Shut up! Uh, yeah. uh, but I, um, yeah, I, uh, it, was, it was so much fun. And there was a practical reason for it, which is you're trying to, um, you're trying to have exactly the same production values as you would on one of the big movies, right? So, um, uh, so, so being able to shoot a, a, an, one episode in two days and, uh, and really curtail the amount of time you're spending on those early episodes and shoot them as they would have been shot in the 1950s with three camera setups and, 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 um, and, and three sets that are, that, that are built on a, on a stage with an audience uh, made, that, that you get through it really quickly and then you're able to bank that time to shoot the action. Wow, that's awesome. So cool. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. That's really cool. Uh, Alan, uh, this year marks the 20th anniversary of you winning your Oscar for American Beauty. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just, I, I, that's just the idea of winning an Oscar is such like a, such a foreign concept to me, something I can't even imagine. So I always like to ask this question, just what that moment was like when you hear your name called. Going into that night, did you walk down the carpet expecting, were they predicting you to win? Were you thinking you were gonna win? And what, that, that walk from your seat to the stage, like those little, like what, what is that moment like? Well, I remember being on the red carpet and I was behind in sync and, uh, and everybody wanted to talk to them. But when, when, when I walked by, uh, some, some reporter said, who's that? And they went, oh, he's a writer. And they went, oh, okay, they were not. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Charlize Theron was standing in front of me in this orange dress and she turned around and she went, is my gold dust coming off? And apparently she had gold dust and I was like, uh, I, because I was super nervous. I felt like <clears throat> I was really out of my element and uh, I had a flask of liquor in the pocket of my tuxedo that I hit throughout the evening. And uh, as far as the point when they call your name, I just left my body and somehow my body walked up on stage. And, uh, <laughs> The first thing I remember standing up there was this monitor in the back of the auditorium going 15, 14. Seconds? 13, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what I said, uh, but it was, uh, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure for a lot of people who are probably much more well-adjusted and have more self-esteem than I do, that moment would be a moment of triumph. But for me, it was kind of like a nightmarish out-of-body experience. Do you remember who presented you with your Oscar? Yes, it was Mel Gibson. Wow. Wow. I got to shake Mel Gibson's hand. That's incredible. It's one of the greatest scripts ever. And, you know, Jake brings up anniversaries. You know, Paul, I'm, I'm going to be uh, super personal with you for a second because A Beautiful Mind is a film that means a lot to me. And next year it turns 20, which is uh, incredible to hear that. It came out in 2001. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I've been dealing with anxiety and mental health issues all my life. And I actually bring up that film a lot with my therapist because there's that scene at the end when Russell Crowe walks by you and doesn't give you any attention as you're talking to the, as you're, as you're trying to get his attention in his mind. And it's always been something I've always told my doctor. I'm like, one day, as from with mental health aspects, I would love to plow through it and not listen to the voices in my head. And I think about that scene all the time. And I wanted to ask you just in general, uh, what impact that film had on you? Do you hear people that tell you what that film did for them from a mental health perspective? Because it's just 
I mean, it's Ron Howard. It's brilliant. I'm just curious what your what your memories of that film were, and, and that scene specifically. Like he just ignores you, and it's like the power that he has in that moment is the best. Yes, and also, um, the, you know, the the having to make a decision to turn your back on your best friend. You know, uh, is the, the the also the loss of turning your back on the fantasy. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's it's written by a dear friend of mine, Akiva Goldsman, and Akiva and I uh, are dear friends. And Akiva writes very well about mental health issues. His mother was um, a, 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 a lauded and brilliant um, therapist who worked with uh, predominantly with with uh, very very disturbed children. And um, you know, Akiva sort of grew up rocking because that's what every other kid did in the, in the household that he was he was he, he was living in and i think that he did such a a, a great job at, at um at at, vi at helping visualize um a very internal experience and um yeah it was it was it was an it was an incredible um journey making that movie for for a number of reasons and and one of the main ones being i met the love of my life on <laughs> on it um and you're so you're talking about russell crowe right yes <laughs> yeah, yes uh and um yes my two leading ladies uh russell crowe and jennifer connelly i i i've so so yes, it, it holds a very special place um, in in my in my in my head and my heart that movie. And I do I I, I hear you. I think it spoke to a lot of um, people who have uh, s uh, struggled with their mental health, um, as I think Alan and I can testify <laughs> to being two people who have struggled with their mental yeah. health. Yes. Well, and that's the interesting thing is like I mean, I wasn't dealing with exactly what Russell Crowe's characters deal with. Obviously, I've, I've more of an OCD and depression, anxiety part. But it it was the image of him going by you, which was like the it's the freedom to make that choice is what I always really kind of latched onto, and I thought that was so brilliant. But um, we're we got to let you guys wrap up. But Alan and Paul, this has been a pleasure. Uh, the film, uh, we, we, we want everyone to see this. It's a, such an important film for a, a lot of people. Like I mentioned, Beautiful Mind meant a lot to me. This will mean a lot to everybody else who out there who wants to watch a film that is going to make them think, but also make them understand uh, all the different struggles that we all go through in our lives. And uh, we want to say thank you to both of you and congratulations on this film. And thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you guys so thank much. You guys. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, guys. And bye, Gigi. <laughs> uh, see you, Gigi. <laughs> bye, Gigi. Yeah, cool. uh, Scene-stealing dog, honestly. <laughs> Naturally, we want to thank Amazon for giving us time with Paul Bettany and Alan Ball. Make sure you check out Uncle Frank. Now, we are off this week, but we will definitely be back next week, not only with a full interview, but we're going to have a premium episode for the people who subscribe to that. If you do not subscribe to premium yet, make sure you head down to the notes down below. We have all the details about how you can sign up for even more Real Blend on a weekly basis. We hope that you guys have a very safe and a warm holiday season with your friends and family and all your loved ones. And we'll be back very soon with more Real Blend. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.